Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. This is Season 3, Episode 4, Stumbling on a Stone, Romans 10, 1-4. What did the Jewish people do wrong? I mean, seriously, why aren't the first century churches filled with Jewish followers of the Messiah, Jesus Christ? This week, we're going to explore this and discover what the stone was that they actually stumbled on. Hope you're having a great uh, a great weekend. If you listen to this when it comes out on Mondays, um, I know I am. I'm going to be out duck hunting here soon, and I'm, I'm always jazzed for that time of year. This is Pastor Steve Treichler of Hope Community Church. Hope you're doing great. Uh, this season, we're starting off our podcast by just kind of touching on, just very briefly, on a person in history, Christian history, and just kind of familiarizing ourselves with them. And I'm moving quite a bit forward. We've looked at Athanasius and Augustine. Most likely, both were what we would today consider black men uh, from a region either in Africa or very close to it. Now we're looking at uh, someone by the name of John Wycliffe. He was born in 1330. He dies in 1384, so he lives to be uh, 54 years old. And probably one of the most amazing things about him is that 43 years after his death, church official dug up his body, burned him again, threw the ashes into the river. Uh, they just wanted to get rid of this guy. He, his teachings were spreading wildly, and it was driving the religious people crazy. Now, you, you notice I said that, and in church history so far with, with Athanasius and with Augustine, there hasn't really been a split yet between the religious and the church. And what happens and there's a lot of study you could do on this, but what happens is the Roman Empire takes Christianity on through Constantine as the official religion. And of course, if you were alive at that time, uh, that would be thrilling. I mean, that would be like awesome because no more persecution and now we can worship in, in freedom and all that. But but what tends to happen is is once the church is engaged with the state, the, the the state influences the church in ways that causes the church to become corrupt. And all of a sudden it becomes about power, like political power, and not about spiritual or walking with the Lord kind of power. And as a result then, much of what we're going to be going through this season in our little church history thing has to do with people pushing against the church because it's become such an incredible uh, force uh, of, of power. And so uh, Wycliffe uh, comes to faith early on. He becomes a rector in 1374 uh, at the age of, uh, let's see, that's around the age of 40. He becomes a, um, uh, a person that is pushing against some of the policies of Rome because uh, Rome is now looking, when I may say Rome, I mean the Catholic Church there, and the Roman Empire seated in Rome, and the Roman Catholic Church kind of taking the power now when the Roman Empire ceases. Um, all of a sudden now, uh, they start to push their, their muscle around, and they want to raise money for wars. <laughs> and Wycliffe just has no 
He says, there's no way. There's no way you're going to help the people in my region who are poor. There's just no way. And so he uh, pushes against that. He gets in trouble for that kind of thing. But what, but what Wycliffe is really known for, and probably the thing that, um, you know, why he's in church history as a person who we remember, was not only his passion for being a follower of Jesus and not a follower of religion or a follower of staying in power, but what he did is he really believed in that everybody should have access to the Bible. Now, I know that sounds like a simple thing because, I mean, on your shelf, you may have several English translations of the Bible, but they didn't back then. It was all in Latin. And uh, if you didn't know Latin and only very uh, scholarly people did know Latin, you didn't have access to it. And at that time, the church really opposed this. They said this, by this translation, the scriptures have become vulgar. And they are more available to lay it, even to women who can read, than they were to learned scholars who have a high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine. And Wycliffe's response to that is, Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostle. Now, actually, the interesting thing here is, and if you, if you know much about missions, there's actually an agency called Wycliffe or Wycliffe, however you want to pronounce it, um, uh, translations or Wycliffe missions. And what they do is they go into uh, places in the world where there isn't yet a written form of the Bible, and they translate it from the native tongue into their native language. But the interesting thing is he actually died before the translation was completely done, and his friend a man by the name of Purvey, he completes it. And then this idea of we have access to the Bible ourselves, we don't have to have other people, we don't have to have the, the church in all of its, its uh, forms and uh, all of its power and uh, the highfalutinness of it or whatever, well, we can just read it for ourselves. That becomes a threat, and we're going to see this carry on. Uh, as we continue on until we move into the Reformation. His followers become Lollards. That's just a name. And it's actually referring to a region where they were originally, uh, where they originally were made. Uh, they actually were driven underground, and all of this is going to take place until the English Reformation keeps going on. But, but uh, John Wycliffe is definitely one of the ones that uh, you 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 need to know, and you maybe have never heard of him. But if you read the English Bible, about at least ninety percent of your Bible is because of his work and his uh, people that were were working with him, work that they have on the of uh, the uh, edition of the Bible. Okay, on to Romans Untangled for this week. Man, what a great what a great passage. Let me read it through. Uh, it's Romans 10. So if you remember this season, we are going to be going through Romans uh, 9, 10, 11. We went pretty quickly. We only did three episodes on Romans 9. We'll spend uh, just three episodes also on Romans 10, and then we'll spend five episodes on Romans uh, 11. But but uh, this, is a, this is a great passage. Let me just go ahead and read it. It's going to kind of be a bit of a summary for us from Romans 9 as well. So here we go. Romans 10, 1 to 4. This time I'm going to read out of the New International Version. 
It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And that's our passage for today. So let's just kind of go through this verse by verse. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Romans 10. We're going to move around a little bit in the Bible. Not a lot, but a little bit uh, this time. Romans uh, 10.1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, those of Jewish descent, is that they may be saved. Now, if you go, that that is a great summary of what he said in Romans 9, right? Romans 9, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. So here's see Paul again in Romans 9, verses 1 to 5 in particular. He does this whole thing where he's just saying, I'm just passionate about the Jewish people, but where are they? Why aren't they in the churches, right? And he repeats that in Romans 10. And it kind of follows through the argument that we have so far in Romans 9. Romans 9 starts with this, I have this passion for the, the people of Israel. They had this whole story, but they don't, they miss Jesus as Messiah. But then they go on to say uh, Romans 9, 6, which probably, again, is the theme verse of this entire section of Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. It is not as though God's word had failed, right? It, it God's promises are gonna happen. And he goes in here and he talks about, first of all, not all Israel are Israel, and uh, God works his promises, and he's got, he has sovereign, and he predestines, and he elects people, and he draws them to himself. God will do his purposes, right? And that leads us then into Romans, uh, excuse me, Romans 9, verse 30, which is fascinating because you, Paul asks the question in Romans 9, 30, he says, hey, if, what then shall we say that, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, this idea of pursue or chasing after, racing after, right? We got a, a race going on, right? But they get it a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, the Jewish people, who pursued, who raced after, who who worked very hard at the law as a way of righteousness, they've not obtained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. So here you have this whole thing of God's sovereignty, and yet they're making a choice. So you have, you have in right in this Romans chapter 9, you have this idea of the sovereignty of God, and it's beautiful, wonderful, and he's in control, and yet we have real choices before us, and they chose to seek after their own righteousness. And then it says this, it says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame, quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. So what's going on here is he's saying they stumbled over the stone, and, and what I believe Romans 10, 1 to 4 is saying is what is that stone that they stumbled on? That's why I titled this one, uh, A Stone That Makes Them Stumble. 
So what, what is this stone that they're stumbling on? So let's take a look here. Let's go to uh, verse 2. Verse 2 says, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So what does that mean? They're passionate. They're loyal. They're hardworking. They go hard in a certain direction. But Paul says that direction is wrong. It's not the right direction. Now, I'm going to talk to the science nerds for a second. And if you're not a science nerd, just, uh, I don't know, think about something else for a minute. (laughs) If you remember from science class or physics in particular, or maybe even mathematics, when it got to a higher level, you talked about something called vectors. And vectors were a way, it's just basically an arrow, right? And you have this arrow. And the length of the arrow indicated the magnitude of Let's just call it, for for the sake of argument, let's just call it a certain type of force. Let's just say you're pushing against a bowling ball, okay? And how hard you're pushing against this bowling ball, it's on the ground, how hard you push against it is the length of the arrow. Which direction you push it in, uh, that that is called the direction. So a vector has two things. An arrow, if you draw an arrow, it has a length, that's how hard it is, and a direction, which direction are you going, okay? Paul is saying here that the length of the magnitude really doesn't make a lot of difference. It, how hard you believe something doesn't matter if you believe the wrong thing. I can testify that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They're pushing the bowling ball in the wrong way. It doesn't matter if you push it hard or soft. It's going in the wrong way. So then go to verse 3 here. And it says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Okay, this is a little bit of where we have to untangle this. This is a why we call this podcast what we do. That phrase, the righteousness of God, did not submit to God's righteousness. Those of you who have been faithful uh, Romans Untangled people know that that's a, yes, that's a phrase we're familiar with, right? And where does that take us? Well, in the book of Romans, it takes us back to chapter 1. Right? So in chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is verse 16. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He goes on from there. If you remember all of season one, we do the bad news, right? The bad news about the wrath of God and we're all sinners on our own, that we've walked away from God until we get to Romans chapter three, verse 21, which says, but now apart from the law, apart from trying to measure up, apart from trying to earn my own, apart from me doing the do's and not And don't doing the don'ts, I guess you'd say. Uh, Apart from that, there's something different. It says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And there's that phrase again. To which the law and the prophets testify. So the Old Testament pushes towards this. And he says, this righteousness is given, given, 
It's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And again, Romans 21, 321 to 26, extremely important. But my point here is I want to talk about just this righteousness of God and what he's manifesting. He's saying there's definitely two ways to go about this. How are you going to beget righteousness with God? How are you going to get right with God? Paul, in describing his own journey with Jesus, he was a faithful Jew, and he was opposed to Jesus as Messiah. He was seeking to establish he was this guy. He sought to establish his own righteousness. But now listen to his own story from Philippians chapter 3. He says in the middle of verse 4, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, in my own abilities, I have more. And he goes on to list them. Verse 5. This is Philippians chapter 3. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, which is the highest party that followed the rules very carefully. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I was so passionate. I was pushing that bowling ball so hard. I was willing to put in jail, have afflicted, and even murder people who claimed that this Jesus was the Messiah. I was so opposed to that. I was willing to do that. Cranking on the, the, I mean, Paul's arrow would be very long at how far he pushed that bowling ball. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He basically says, find a law in the Old Testament as far as outward appearance. Find one that I broke. I dare you. Dude, that's amazing. Like, I followed this stuff, dude. I was after it. But now listen to him in verse 7. When when Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, everything changed. And in verse 7, he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, if you have a if you have a column and you have the debits and you have the, the profits or the assets, he would say, all of that I count now as loss. All that the before I said was my way of knowing that I was God's man. Now I'm saying, my gosh, those just made me arrogant. I was my own savior. He goes on to say, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The King James Version, I think, says it best, count it as dung, like like a garbage heap, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here it is. Here's the key not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, through com- that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, Paul is saying, I am no longer relying on just me. I am relying on God and his righteousness. That's what makes me, okay, it's not about just me. It's about what God did. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's not about me. It's not about my works. I'm unified with him. And it is a radical, 
radical different message. If you're new to the podcast, we spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about the difference between religion and relationship. A religion is a list of rules I follow that I'm okay with with God, but 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 the relationship with Jesus is I'm okay with God because of Jesus. Therefore, I obey. Therefore. I want to follow him. Therefore, I want to pray. Therefore, I want to read the Bible. Therefore, I want to tell others about this. I don't have to. I get to. It changes everything, okay? And he says that that was the stumbling block. The stumbling block that the Jewish people had was they wanted to establish their own righteousness. They wanted to be better than other nations, other people. They wanted to have the moral high ground and say, oh, I can't believe those other people. Can you, can you believe that they did that? They're, they're just disgusting people. I don't do things like that. I'm, I'm a better person than that. They wanted to, as the bell curve of morality, they wanted to see themselves way above everybody else and that God would have to accept them. And the Apostle Paul, throughout the book of Romans, but right here again, is once again saying, there is no moral high ground. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you you come to the gospel and you say, I trust you and not my works. I'm putting all of my hope in your works and what you did, Jesus, and what your finished work on the cross was in your perfect life and in your resurrection. Then he goes on to verse four. <clears throat> verse four says this. It says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, this is definitely a passage, verse 4, that you'd want to grab a commentary on. And I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Bible translation, you know, a, a, I don't rip on different Bible translations. They all have their own philosophy and some of those things. And I, I get what the New International Version is trying to do here, and, and I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I understand where they're where they're going and and what their what their motives are here. But let me just and and again, you know, this is four years of seminary, so what's it worth? Well, maybe it's worth me quoting one verse to you. So I did learn uh, New Testament Greek, and let me just read this literally, like from the Greek the language that it was written in. Let me read it word for word, literally to you, and you can see. It leaves some ambiguity there, and it reads like Yoda speak, okay? So obviously you have to translate it into English. But it says this. It says, law for, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, And, telos is the word. That's a big word, telos, T-E-L-O-S, telos for, and that that you normally would put that word first, so it would be for, telos, or the end, of the law, Christ is for righteousness to everyone who believes. <laughs> okay, so I know, man, that ain't going to win any Bible translation awards, but that, that kind of lets you know what's going on here. Christ, and it's kind of saying it this way, Christ equals the end of the law for all those who believe, uh, and, and they get righteousness as a result. And then that word righteousness comes up again, okay? So so here's what's going on. And, and there's a, believe me, there's a ton of ink spilled on what that word telos means. Now, the word telos, if you just go to the, the uh, definitions of the word, 
Uh, it, it means it can have several meanings, just like the word end. End is a great translation. The word end leaves it somewhat ambiguous. You know what I mean? So you could say um, <clears throat> the end of gym class is 1030, right? And so it's done then, right? It's completed. And that's the first definition. It's a point of time marking the end of a duration, right? It's just, it ceases after that. But it could also mean it's the conclusion, the last part of a process. It's the close, right? This is the the end of which we were trying to accomplish, okay? Um, It could also mean goal. And it's a little bit similar towards the other one, but it's more the goal or the outcome of what we are seeking after. And and then the other ones actually are not necessarily as relevant. Uh, It'd be last in a series. This is the, you know, one, two, three, four, and this is the end. So it's probably you're looking at one of these first first versions. Now, first uh, one, two, or three, the end, the termination. Uh, the the last part, the close or the conclusion, or it could be the goal uh, or, or or the outcome. And how you end up translating that word actually has a huge reality in how you live life. So if you're saying that Christ is kind of the goal of the law, which is is I understand in some ways that's very true, that Christ here, he's the one and he fulfills the law and he shows us the way to walk it, that's not necessarily untrue. However, I would just say that doesn't even make any sense in the context here, <laughs> right? It, it, it actually, verse four, that if you believe that Jesus is the one that is the example of the one of how to get righteousness, that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, that actually supports verse three, that they did not know the rights of God and sought to establish their own. It, it, in other words, well, Jesus came, he showed me how to do it, so now I can do it. I, yeah, dude, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that literally doesn't even make any sense. Verses three and four have to make sense. And so verse three says there's a difference between establishing your own righteousness and there's a righteousness of God. And when he says Christ is the telos of the law, he means Christ is the end of the law. Now, this is radical. (laughs) If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what it says, Christ is the end. It terminates. It's over so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In other words, if if you're a believer, you have righteousness already and there isn't law over you anymore. Now, I know we've talked about this in this podcast. Well, why do anything and all that? And we we, we deal with that in in a variety of ways. Well, of course I want to do things now because I've been set free, but I don't have to. Christ ended that. It's done. It's over. And I rely on him. Charles Spurgeon, I love what he says. He says, don't trust in your hope, but trust in the source of your hope. Right? Don't trust in your faith, but trust in the object of your faith. In other words, Jesus accomplished this, not how much I believe. Your magnitude makes no difference. If it's in the right direction, it makes all the difference. The Apostle Paul is pushing that bowling ball in the wrong direction. And he said, oh my gosh, Jesus is Messiah. And not only is he Messiah, he came to bring us salvation by going to a cross for us. Galatians chapter 3, Christ 
took on the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And it changes everything. And that's what he's getting after here. Now, I would, I would this week, if you want to meditate on a verse, meditate on verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. He finished it. When he went to the cross and he said the phrase, it is finished, he actually meant, it is finished. It's over. And the righteousness I have comes from him because I believe, simply because I believe. This week as you go about and the devil tries to to tell you, you're not, you don't measure it up. Good Christians don't do those kinds of things. You're not. You don't measure up. God's going to get you. Just say back to him, Christ is the end of the law. I'm no longer under law because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm a different person. I'm no longer measured that way. Righteousness comes by believing, not by doing. And that's what the, how the Jews missed it. That's the stone that they stumbled on. Now, let me show you something here that's really interesting, too, though. It says, Christ is the end of the law. Let me read it from the New American Translation because it's the most literal, New American Standard. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if you don't believe, if you don't yet trust Jesus, you are under law. You're still under law. When Christ came, he ends it. But he gives the opportunity to end it, and it doesn't end until you believe. When you believe, then you're no longer under law. But it's not because of, you know, at uh, whatever it was, 0 AD or whatever Christ, or not, 33 AD or whatever his time of his death was. That, that, that didn't mean that, that, he, 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 that the law ended then. It ends the moment of belief for every believer. Until then, you are under law. We're all under law. And we're being judged by it. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I just invite you right now. Man, why not? Why not? Why not let Jesus take this? And then you can be set free from all these things. I so look forward to hanging out with you again next week on Romans Untangled. Next week, we'll look at the the next passage as we move down and kind of go into this whole thing of like, how, what happens to the Jews then? Do, are they just out? And we're going to see the beautiful invitation that is given to them as we move on in Romans chapter 10. Love you all, even though I don't know you all. I really do love you all and just care for you. And, and, and I'm praying even for the people who listen to this podcast that God would just do great things. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.